and welcome. This is a podcast of ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. Today we are will be talking about Russia's strategy in post-Soviet space, and our guest is Konstantin Kurt, head of board of Internews Ukraine, a famous Ukrainian media NGO. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of Ukraine World and host of this podcast. So, Kostya, hello. Hello. Nice to see you. Uh, let's talk about Russia because we always, we often talk about Russia's strategy in the post-Soviet area. Looking back at Russia, ongoing aggression against Ukraine, Ukraine, do you think it was something new in Russian policy in in post-Soviet area? Well, when you are in Moscow, you can hardly skip Smolensk Square. It's not far, in fact, uh, from the Kiev railway station. That's the railway station where trains from Ukraine are coming to Moscow. So not far from that is is the uh, Russian foreign ministry. It is on Smolensk Square. This is a huge building of 27 stores in the style of Stalin Empire. That's the architecture style. There are just seven buildings like that in Moscow. And one of them is Moscow University, another one is uh, Russian for- Foreign Ministry, and one of them is actually Hotel Ukraine. And um, it's very symbolic. When you stand on the bottom of this uh, huge building, you understand with what kind of nation we are disputing right now. It is imperialist nation. They uh, think and they act globally. Nothing new. So do you think that was a model tested in, in the past? For example, we can talk about Russian aggression in Georgia or the events in Moldova and Transnistria. Do you see some similarities or there are more differences? There are many similar things, but let's uh, let's get back uh, to the 1985, for example. That is the beginning of uh, Soviet perestroika. question is, why did it happen at all? Well, because when Soviet Union uh came into Afghanistan with uh, the idea of bring socialism, but in fact, get closer to the Persian Gulf, the West imposed sanctions. And that sanctions, they uh, provoked provoked a bankruptcy of the Soviet economy. And uh, at some point, Soviet Union decided that they have to change something. When they started to change something, they thought, well, we really do not have money. Let's change more things. And that change in more things did mean that, okay, we have uh, 280 million people. There are too many people. We have too many social obligations. We simply do not have enough money to pay all possible pensions, etc., etc. Let's downsize. Let's downsize and let's keep whatever is really important for us. And uh, But having said that and having done that, Basically, Soviet Union stopped paying money to 100 million uh, people, which were not in Russia itself. But uh, speaking of influences, speaking of something that generates cash, because when you cut something like, uh, for example, when you cut a country, they are good assets and they are bad assets. Good assets do generate cash. So they still wanted to keep control on something that do generate cash. Is it, I would say, is it correct to say that, for example, the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, right? But in some cases, it continued to exist in another form. And that was kind of a, the relationship between Moscow and post-Soviet republics. And Moscow 
was trying to control them anyway. So they had uh, de jure political independence, but de facto they didn't. So when they tried to enhance the independence, like Georgia, Ukraine, and Moldova, uh, they were punished. Exactly. It is just like that. Because uh, what is Ukraine? Ukraine is the way to Europe, to South Europe and to Central Europe. It's very important to keep that under control. Uh, for Russia, it is important to dominate in the Black Sea. This is something they had since uh, 18th century. So they, they are not ready to lose that. Speaking about uh, uh, Middle Asia, uh, countries like Tajikistan, uh, yet again, this is the border with uh, Iran, the border with Afghanistan, uh, getting closer to the Gulf. I mean, this this is very important, not to mention the uh, drug trafficking from Afghanistan to Europe through, yet again, uh, Tajikistan, uh, Russia, and Ukraine. You are uh, head of a media NGO, Internews Ukraine, so you're dealing with information. And how Russia was using the information as a tool in this hybrid warfare against its neighbors? Very actively and uh, very effectively. And in fact, we are uh, speaking tradition. The Russia was using uh, information to achieve their goals uh, for centuries. Uh, for example, the world-famous uh, Russian poet Pushkin, he did write a poem, Poltava, where Ukrainians are described uh, in a bad way, let's put it mildly. For example, Mazepa, he is involved not only in uh, betrayal of Tsar uh, Peter, but also in some sort of uh, closer to pedophilia. So it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great scene and, you know, it's a great scene as, as a piece of propaganda. One of the lines of this poem describes uh, a field covered by uh, killed Sw Swedish soldiers, like, uh, and, and it describes as, uh, as a bunch of insects of, bad, of, of black color. Why black color? Well, because black color is the negative connotation. Historical fact is the uniforms of Swedish army were blue. So, you know, we are talking tradition. And now in modern world, uh, Russia invests uh, billions uh, of dollars and euros to uh, build, maintain, uh, enhance uh, very effective, very aggressive, very creative channels of uh, modern communications. First of all, uh, we are talking television and uh, we are talking social networks. We are talking internet in all possible ways. It's interesting that you mentioned 19th century because we usually say that, I mean, Russian current propaganda is using the Soviet models, but it's very interesting that you mentioned classical Russian literature. There is, uh, for example, a, a book, I guess, by Emma Thompson, which is basically focusing on this uh, liter literature as a kind of a way to propaganda. But if we come back to the Soviet style of propaganda, What's happening now with RT, with Sputnik, with all this army of bots, and what, what's ha what was happening during Soviet times? Do you think there are more similarities or differences? Yet again, we are talking tradition. I think there are more similarities in, uh, to begin with. They can be fine, they can be uh, fine-tuned uh, tactics, but strategy is the same. And strategy is to have global domination. 
and uh, what modern time uh, did bring uh, to Russia as, as a possibility. They, they took it as a possibility. Let's use the weaknesses of uh, democracy, as they call it, to achieve our goals. Let's find people which are not happy with the existing world order and get them on our side. It's been always like that. Russia is often described as a KGB state. Do you think that it is using KGB methods right now, including in foreign policy? How to understand them better? Well, KGB is uh, an organization that knows how to achieve their goals. They can be mean goals, but uh, they know who, how to achieve them effectively. Normally, they use there are three stages to get someone uh, working for KGB or Russia. First stage is seduction, and uh, it can be using sex or corruption. Corruption is very uh, important tool. For, well, well, in the work of. Uh, special operations. Second stage is uh, intimidation. When someone is not corrupted or have high standards of integrity, okay, it is the time then to intimidate someone. It applies to the countries as well. For example, when uh, Ukraine and Georgia did not understand the usual way of corruption and, you know, low gas prices, stuff like that, Russia used the war. And the uh, third stage is murder. So yet again, if someone is not possible to intimidate or to corrupt, they kill someone. For example, they killed uh, Skripal. Uh, well, they were trying to kill Skripal. They killed Litvinenko. And that works as well. You, you see, they, they do it publicly. And if they do it publicly, this is a new thing. It works to intimidate others. It works in a way that uh, people's and governments, they, they actually start thinking, well, should we really mess with Russia? They, they do not have breaks. They can do anything. They can kill our citizens. Let's, you know, let's, let's be cautious. So I think it's indeed a very good point that the, uh, the, the Russian kind of a mentality, well, I would not say mentality, but the, a style of political action is that this image of no borders, right? No, no breaks. Borders, no uh, limits. No borders, no limits. Uh, but talking about KGB, there is one of the models which is called reflexive control, right? When you when you try to penetrate the brains of an enemy mm -hmm. and uh, push the enemy to act as you wish. And do you think it is it was also tested in post-Soviet space, including in Ukraine? Of course. I mean, in Ukraine it was uh, used a lot. And uh, yet again, it has a tradition because... Uh, when Ukraine was uh, between 1917 and uh, 1919, there was such a thing in Ukraine as Ukrainian People's Republic. So it, it was a prototype of modern Ukrainian state. And it was occupied, in fact, uh, by uh, Soviet troops or communist troops. But many of those troops were Ukrainians. They were Ukrainians which did think differently. After 1939, yet again, Russia did invest, or Soviet Union already, they, they did invest a lot of resources to convert Ukrainians into Russians, into Soviet people. Uh, in uh, Western Ukraine, they didn't even use such a thing as Russification much, at least to the 80s, up to the 80s. Uh, most of the schools in uh, uh, West Ukrainians cities and towns were 
schools on Ukrainian language, which was not the fact in, for example, Kiev. In Kiev in 1990, they were full school with Ukrainian language of education out of 200 or about 200. So, but that was Sovietization. It was not Russification. Uh, so Russians are very creative in, uh, say, in penetrating to the uh, brains of uh, adversary. One of the tools is uh, an Orthodox Church. And we see right now in Ukraine how Russian Church is playing, I would say, the notorious role during the pandemic. Uh, the, during the Easter holidays, basically, Russian Church in Ukraine, which is called Ukrainian Church of Moscow Patriarchy, called the believers to come physically to churches, which basically put them at risk of being infected. What is what is this? Is it just a conservatism, religious values, or there is a plan behind it? Oh, the plan behind it, uh, it's, well, they are multi-levels. Well, first level is, is, is very simple. Out of Easter holidays, uh, Orthodox Church gets the most of their income. It is the most uh, cash flow uh, for, for the year's financial plan. And um, they, they are greedy people. They, they cannot uh, you know, give up the money. Other churches, they can. But Orthodox Church of uh, Moscow Patriarchate, they, they cannot, they want this money. Also, they cannot put at risk uh, the behavior of uh, their believers. What if they get used to participate in the ceremonies through television or online system? What if they will not come next year to the churches? It means less money. So it's, yeah, it's, it is the, the issue of money to begin with. Another thing, they want to put themselves in a special position, and that special position is that we are opposing everyone, including the state. We are above the state. And this is to send message uh, to Ukrainian authorities as well that, you know, it's like, it's a challenge. It, it is challenging them. Okay, we are not doing that. What shall you do to us? It also can be a plan like that. Okay, imagine a Ukrainian police start blocking the churches in a blatant way and, you know, being more aggressive, fining uh, believers, etc., etc. Immediately, it will be that, that immediately that fact will be on uh, Russian channels, on uh, Western channels. Immediately, Ukrainian state will be accused in. Uh, limiting uh, the freedom of religion, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yet again, they are creative people. It's nice. Well, it's very interesting to have that kind of enemy. There is a lot of talk in Ukraine that uh, we are facing a kind of a revanchism, that uh, it's not necessarily that President Zelensky is doing this kind of program of moving back to pre-Maidan times. But there are some people around him and there are more and more influential people around him that are having uh, having this uh, program in their minds. What do you think? Definitely they see President Zelensky as uh, someone who wants to be nice to people and that is chance for themselves to get their wealth back and to get their influences and posi positions uh, in Ukraine back. Look, look, look at all those people like Kurchenka and uh, Yanukovych and all the, that kind of people. They, they are alive. 
they do have money they understand how to make more money in ukraine they uh, don't uh, really care about european future of this nation they want this nation to be in that weak state so definitely they want revanchism they want their people back to the positions they want their courts their tax administration they want this country back how to counteract it how to uh, fight against these influences russian or pro-russian influence what do you think uh, in all possible ways i mean we uh, can't be just nice i mean uh, it's like you know we just we just have to realize that um, for example let's let's take the army the job of the army is to kill enemies it's not parade parade it's not a uh, help uh, it's not helping necessarily in the case of natural catastrophe their job is to kill people so if we are talking secret services they have to kill enemies as well this is Konstantin Kvort, head of board of Internews Ukraine, a famous Ukrainian um, media NGO. We are talking about the Russian strategy in, in Ukraine and in post-Soviet space in general. Uh, probably last question. What do you think the international community should do after the pandemic? Because we understand that pandemic will weaken everybody, including in the West, and that there will be less funds and less attention to such uh, threats and risks as Russia poses. What do you think we all should do? Well, I think we have to uh, give up a little bit of uh, hedonism, which uh, did... Well, which was promoted, in fact, uh, after 1995, when the world understand that cutting back with military expenses is a good thing and uh, enjoy the fruits of uh, disarmaments of all uh, possible ways. Um, be more modest and uh, reassess what is important uh, for the state and why states do exist altogether because the states they do exist to provide security to the nations uh, speaking about globalism speaking about uh, expansions speaking about influences abroad uh, it, it is a chance for chance for ukraine as well to reassess and rebrand the ukrainian state to explain uh, to ukrainians why state is important Thank you so much. Indeed, uh, the Ukrainians is a nation that always likes to uh, um, kind of uh, make protests and rebel against the usurpator, but is not, well, it's a nation which sometimes has a little feeling of its own state. Thank you so much. This was Konstantin Kvort, head of board of Internews Ukraine, famous Ukrainian media NGO. We were talking about the Russian strategy in Ukraine and post-Soviet space, including in the information field. This was Ukraine War. Um, a podcast of ukraineworld.org. Ukraine World is a website uh, about Ukraine in English. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. Stay with us. Mm-hmm.